Welcome to Help from Future Self. Howdy, Archons. Welcome to another episode of Help from Future Self. It's the conversational Keyforge podcast by and for Keyforge friends all around the world. My name is Scuzzy Gruen, also known as Alex, and I am joined this week, as always, by my constant Keyforge companion, the man who has been on literally every episode of Help from Future Self, the only person who can say that. It's Coach Boulevard Paperfight. What's happening, Blake? Hey, man. How's it going? Not too badly. We got to play a sealed tournament this past weekend. That was super fun. Yeah, it really was. I got to ask you because uh, as folks who listen to the podcast know, uh, you are a person who opens up a ton of decks on stream. Uh, You play decks on stream. You do deck opening videos on YouTube, all kinds of different stuff like that. How did you find going into the sealed environment basically for the first time in a larger group of people? I think we had 10, was it total? Yes. How did you find the experience of assessment? Because we were playing... Open two decks, pick one to play that day. What what did you think about when you were opening them up and having a look at what was there? Uh, well, I knew what I was looking for in terms of... I, I kind of have a good idea of how the decks are coming out now. Like, mm-hmm. I feel comfortable knowing, like, okay, this is what you can expect to see. This is how things are going to like show up together. And with that in mind, gave me an idea of what I wanted. And I, I happened to open two decks that were both very good. Uh, one... I opened, uh, we actually had, which was very interesting, we had two Kong openings mm-hmm. in in our pool, and I was one of them. And when I opened that deck, I noticed something that happened, and it's something I'm, I'm probably going to talk about more in length in my other uh, platforms, which is when you open chase cards or those those hot cards that people are looking for and, and trying to crack and find, it has, I think, a psychological effect that can mar your opinion of what you should play if you have that option of A or B. And so uh, I did not play my Niflkong deck. I played my other deck because it had something I'd been looking for, which is Sanctum and Saurians coming together because I think you can create some really interesting synergy when those uh, come together. And I had that privilege of making that happen for the first time. Yeah, I actually played against the other player who had a Niflkong, who opened a Niflkong deck uh, out of our pool of, of players. And he was playing the Niflkong deck because he was really excited about it. And we had a fun game. Like, I certainly wouldn't suggest that, uh, that uh, you know, he, he should have made a different choice. But we then played the other decks that we had each opened against one another. And his other deck, I think, was a lot stronger like in a general sense. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we're also still at that point where it's impossible to tell what the, uh, you know, what, what what the best things are at this point. I think we're still pretty fresh on the set. I think you're probably one of the most informed people when it comes to figuring out what you want to play if you're looking at a deck or you're having to choose between a couple of decks. But I think the rest of us are, are probably lagging a little bit behind you. I personally made my choice based on the fact that one of my decks had a ridiculous amount of amber printed on it uh, due to enhancements. It was fast too, right? Um, no, sadly. Um, oh, it seemed like it was so fast, like just from looking at it, because you could just play cards and essentially win. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, this is one of the things that tripped me up was on paper. I was like, I cannot not play this deck. It just has so much amber printed on it. I should be able to just play cards out of hand and go. And what ended up happening in our game was that you got Master of the Grey out and protected it. And that basically shut me down, which we'll talk about. Let's be more clear. It was Master of the Grey turn one (laughs) with double taunt on either side. So, yeah, it was it was it was honestly that's there's a few times when I've played Keyforge where I actually feel bad based on like the situation, but that felt kind of bad because I could see like your deck just wasn't able to do anything from what happened. And because we're friends, I obviously want us to have an enjoyable experience mm-hmm. every time we play. 
Yeah. I mean, very true, but at the same time also, it's not like you chose that deck knowing what I was going to play, you yeah, know, true. and it's not like I chose the, the, you know, I knew that there was no board clear and select, only select removal when I chose the deck as well. It was a it was a situation that I walked into knowing what the risks were. It's just funny mm-hmm. that it happened to work out turn one, the first game yeah. that I ran into the, the one thing that would shut that deck down. But that's actually a good introduction to the topic that we're going to be addressing today on Help from Future Self, which is enhancements. I think you and I are both on record as thinking that enhancements are generally a very cool mechanic. It adds another layer to your deck. It means that you want to open up decks after looking at the Archon card so that you can see where the different enhancements have been put and whether or not you get any crazy cool combos. So I think we're just going to be sort of generally going through each of the four different styles of enhancement, card draw, capture, amber, and damage, and talking a little bit about uh, individual effects that they have, um, different combinations, and in fact, where you can find the best enhancements of those kinds across the various decks uh blake which one would you like to start with why don't we start with the damage enhancements because i feel that by and large those by themselves are maybe the least exciting of all of them they they are interesting but i don't think people are like oh nice i just i just got this splinter which is going to put five damage pips throughout my deck like i don't think people feel that way (laughs) so uh one thing right off the top is the damage enhancements the most obvious thing that you think about when you know that they exist is that you're going to be able to pop wards Mm -hmm. i think though that compared to the last set wards are actually uh, much more few and far between that we're seeing it very true uh they nerfed it hard or I, I wouldn't say nerfed it hard, but there's, f- f- it's less of a thing that I have to worry about these days. Mm-hmm. And when Granted, I find we've been myself- playing mass mutation versus mass mutation a lot, but I mm-hmm. think once it's uh when we get you know the point where everyone is is fully saturated in mass mutation, and now we're playing all our decks more so because we're not just trying something new, we might see the effect of this more clearly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. Um, yeah, I, I 100% agree with you. It's the least exciting out of it. And the creatures that that come with it, there is one really good creature that matches up with it, which is Maleficorn. Um, if you're not familiar with Maleficorn, he's a rare in dis, and he's a, a ter- terrifying-looking demonic centaur, uh, technically a mutant from a trait perspective. Um, he has enhanced four damage, so he's going to put four damage pips across the other cards in your deck, and his power is, after an enemy creature is dealt damage by a bonus damage icon, uh, deal one damage to that creature. So basically, it's a double up every time you play a card that has one of mm-hmm. those enhancements. So he's cool because you play him, and then any other time that he's on the board and you play him, you're going to get a little bit of extra value out of it. It's not like a game changer. Like, you're not going to see anything totally ridiculous out of it, but it is kind of cool to be able to take out two power creatures or to do one damage or pop a ward and then do one damage or something else like that. Yeah, I, I do like that one as well. Um. For me, there's uh, the the things that come to mind for damage enhancements is uh, the first one is the fact that Anguish is back in this set. Mm. And if you can get a damage enhancement that actually appears on Anguish, I think you pretty much hit the lottery because you can just right away raise your opponent's key cost that turn. Or if you have it on other creatures and you're playing Anguish and you can start doing damage to him that way. And the fact that it's it's incrementally done, because a lot of times you're having to fight with Anguish to do that. And you're putting on like three or maybe four even onto Anguish or the creatures are elusive so you can't fight into it. Like it's it creates a more finicky situation. And a lot of the time that one damage from an enhancement doesn't feel very 
potent just going against one creature and just putting one damage on it. it doesn't always feel good so i think having that utility to throw it on an anguish and increase key cost as a result makes it a really like probably top candidate for using it Mm-hmm. I would also add that I think one of the main key things that you can do with uh, damage pips is enhancing other effects that you have or, uh, you know, sort of being finishers on stuff. Um, there's so many good destroyed effects right now in Dis and in, in a lot of the other houses as well, a lot of destroy this creature, steal one type effects. So being able to do that on your own turn, like get value out of a creature, then play a card that destroys it so that you can steal one. I think that there's, there's certainly a lot of scenarios in which that is present which is really cool Mm -hmm. especially too also as a kicker on things like mark of dis mark of dis does two damage you leave the creature alive with one or two health left so that you actually get the mark of dis uh like uh house control aspect and then playing the damage pip card afterwards to really finish that creature off so they don't have it on the board to use during the next turn when they're forced to call that house those are plays that i've seen actually like pretty frequently and i like them i i think that although it's like a not a a plus like across the board always handy always useful especially because it's one of the few ones that can actively bone yourself with like if you mm-hmm. end up not having opponent creatures across the board you're gonna have to do damage to your own creatures if you're playing cards with damage pips it's still one that has a lot more applications than it might seem on the surface especially when it comes to the actual design of the set yeah i'd agree so the next uh card that i think is really neat is the creature dark minion which provides the enhancement of deal one damage and then has the destroyed effect of deal one damage to each enemy creature i think uh, that card you're loving seeing that if you're playing with a sanctum as one of your other houses and having a cleansing wave i think that has like huge combo potential and even just in general the damage enhancements if you have a cleansing wave i find it it creates that interesting combo possibility where you can put just the one damage knowing that that's going to be turned into ember in a future turn which i think is really neat Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, like you said, or like we were talking about earlier, just that there's the subtle little combinations that can make those damage uh, pips worth a lot more than they appear on the surface. Um, since we're talking about sort of like the lesser ones first, I guess, let's talk about one that seems like it should be better than it actually is, but just straight up amber enhancement, just straight up extra amber pips on cards. I will admit I love seeing a card with an extra Amber Pip on it because that's just extra value anytime you play that card. Amber is always good to have. It's very infrequent that you're in a scenario unless you're guarding against it too much to protect or, you know, not wanting to like get into Ronnie territory where he can steal extra off of you that you want to avoid putting out Amber. So I find that, you know, when I see extra Amber Pips, I'm excited about it. But there actually isn't that many cards that provide that enhancement across the set. Yeah, I think that's probably just because the nature of it naturally is existing so much. But I think you're right. It does uh, provide that that side of things, which is really cool. Um, well, I guess not really cool is the right word. But it's it's really like it feels vanilla because it's not new. It's like it's something we're familiar with. I think that's what it comes down to. Yeah. Like if you look at Gloriana's Attendant, like as much as it's kind of cool to have that Amber still in your deck just spread out across multiple cards, one that makes it harder to recur with things like Resurgence or cards that let you bring creatures back up and put them down. I mean, you might get that value if you have Gloriana herself, because one of her conditions is when you play her, you have to return a non 
uh, untamed creature back to your hand. So if you had another creature that you had played that had one of her enhancement pips on it, then you might get double value out of it. But it's kind of finicky. Like, it doesn't feel like it's it's got a huge amount of potential for, like, big blasts of amber. Certainly not as much as you see out of things like uh, having combinations of, like, Song of the Wild and... Um, uh, what's his face? Uh, the Dark Harbinger and stuff like that. Like those are the mm-hmm. big amber plays in the set. I find the enhancements are more of a. It's a. It's like a nice condiment, but it ain't the main course. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually don't have anything else that I wanted to say about amber enhancements. No, yeah, there. I didn't have a lot of uh, notes on that one either. I, I feel like, like we said, it's people understand how that works. They understand the things that exist with it, and I also think that. Gloriana's attendant, as much as it's great to get, it's like a dust pixie, except instead of it being on one creature, it's being spread out. Once that one power hits the board, like sometimes, like there's a lot of times I don't play Gloriana's attendant because I somehow seem to be opening a lot of Fangtooth Cavern decks this time around. So I know if I'm playing Gloriana's attendant, that's the thing getting hit. And sometimes there's a three power creature across the board, which is the next smallest. And I'd rather do that. So Gloriana just ends up uh, in the discard. One of the actual cool applications is if you get an artifact that's got a bunch of extra amber on it, if you're in Untamed playing Reclaimed by Nature, which is Mm. artifact control, like you can do that or do that to your opponents. Like I've gotten a lot of value out of that. I've gotten, you know, three, four amber on some cases out of it. So it's not entirely without value, but it is, you know, just not exciting. Damage and amber are good, but they're not like the things that kind of set your heart racing. No, but I mean, there is also Untamed seemed to be the one that got all these because there's also Wild Bounty, mm. which uh, came in, which allows you when you resolve your bonus icons, you get to resolve them in extra time. And that card can be pretty bonkers as a result. And it's also providing two uh, Ember Pips in your deck as enhancement. So I am kind of a fan of of that one because I think there's there's quite a few times I've seen cards that have like Ember, Capture, and Draw or Damage, like you're getting all three or a combination in that way where you're actually doing quite a bit of work with that so it's it's pretty cool does do like the standard pips count as bonus icons yeah it's still a bonus icon so if you were to play that and then play fertility chant you would get eight amber i believe that is correct unless someone wishes to say we are wrong which uh, would not be the first time but yeah i'm quite certain that is the way that works um but now we're getting into the meat and potato stuff like the real exciting stuff what do you want to do card draw or capture Let's do capture because I think it's a good segue considering we just did wild bounty. So with the capture icon, uh, first off, it's pretty cool. It's providing a form of ember control that can be basically in a house that doesn't have a lot of ember control, which I really like about it. I think that makes it really interesting, especially in certain houses. So one capture bonus combo, which I think is super neat, is when you get a capture icon with Axiom of Grisk. Granted, mm-hmm. Axiom is a little less exciting this time around because there is so much capture. It doesn't feel like you get the same value, which we have talked about in length in the past. Uh-huh. But but it is a, still a fun combo. If you get an Axiom of Grisk with a captured Ember on it, it means you get to protect one more creature from it. So that that is one really cool, I'd say, um, not really thinking too hard combo that everyone kind of saw. Yeah, totally. Um, I... I I feel like I've opened more capture than I have anything else, and I always mm-hmm. like it. I mean, I think the thing to keep in mind about capture, and you see more of it in, of course, House Sanctum than you do in any other house, which is, you know, traditionally plays into their identity. They capture, they protect, etc., and there's ways to protect the ones that capture. So, you know, I, I, I think part of it is understanding that capture and amber is never, ever safe because 
unless you have a way to get it off the board and there are way fewer ways to do that than there used to be. Like everybody Mm -hmm. complained. Well, not everybody. I complained loudly and longly about the ways that um, Captured Amber was easy to exploit by Saurians in the previous set. They've certainly tamped that down a lot, but there's still ways to do it. Exile they heard is still you. That's why. This. They yeah, literally yeah. heard what you were saying and they were like, you know what? We need to take Scuzzy's distaste for, for all this <laughs> Captured Ember into consideration and, and make it more appropriate. Well, I, I would really like to think that was the truth, but uh, even my <laughs> ego isn't that big. But with that said, um, there, there's still things like um, Exile is still a thing in Saurian. There are still ways that you can get Amber off of creatures using some of the monuments in Saurian. Um, there's also Patronage in Saurian. I'm mentioning a lot of Saurian cards because they still have that capacity. And then plus Saurian still has all of that uh, ways to spend Amber that's on top of creatures. Uh, we're thinking about things like Senator Brockus and so forth. So as much as there's still ways to exploit Captured Amber, I find more often than not that what you're looking at with Captured Amber is that you're going to eventually have to give it back and that can be the game swinging moment. And so it, it's always nerve wracking for me when I'm playing these big board decks where I'm capturing tons of Amber and spreading it out across my guys using cards like Equalize to try not to centralize it on one or two creatures that that board clear is coming or you know that other card that's going to give them back the maximum amount of amber and possibly put the game into its end state right there at that moment um mm-hmm. it's it's a tricky thing to figure out your head around i think more often than not having like the tons of capture decks what you want to do is use them strategically just to take people off key that oftentimes feels like your best possible play because eventually they're going to get it back so it's less about just this constant turnover turn capturing Amber using font of the eye and stuff like that. And more like using the cards that have the capture pip and so forth to actually just like, all right, you're at key. I'm just going to take you down off key. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. And then speaking of captured Amber, you also have the amazing artifact, which came in Sorian, which is pretty much the only thing, like there's only a couple cards in Sorian that provide enhancements and the two creatures Dark Centurion and Console Primus provide uh, capture enhancements. And then beyond that, you really just have the amazing card, Amphora Captura, which provides two Ember pips, two damage pips, and two draw pips. But then it has the passive effect of when resolving a bonus icon, you may choose to resolve it as a capture bonus icon instead. Now, that's just amazing because we were talking about all this capture stuff and how, how handy it is. But if you happen to get the blessings of Sanctum with it, then you may end up also have a card called Scrivener Favian, which is a mutant centaur inside Sanctum. And it also provides two bonus capture pips as an enhancement, but it has the passive ability of when you resolve a bonus capture icon, you can choose to steal one instead. So if you get Amphora Captura and Scrivener Fabian into play, you're literally just stealing every pip. So you're not even worrying about it getting on creatures anymore. You're just getting straight Amber and that's just bonkers. I think it's like the best enhancement combination probably in the set. Have you got a deck with that combo? I don't, but I went up against one on the weekend. Our our man, Charlie, he opened one, which had like, a st- I think it had like, I want to say 13 ways that he could, he could utilize this. And it was just dumb. Like playing against him was just so silly watching all the capture and everything happen. Like it was really good and it was very punishing. Yeah, um, there was some spicy decks that got opened over the weekend. Uh, our buddy Daniel B taking down the tournament yet again, the sealed master. Uh, he is, yeah. 
Yeah, he 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 consistently does amazingly well in sealed environments, and I think that's just a combination of the fact that he's very good at understanding decks right from the jump, and also understanding how to play them against other people. Like he's he's got that skill set. But yeah, Charlie was also playing with Hot Fire. I had a, I had a quick convo with him about the deck that he was playing. Yeah, the the, the capture stuff is one where, as much as I want to be able to do things with my decks that have like Senator Brockuses in them and decks that have, you know, uh, using combos like Humble and stuff like that. So you can get that old school Saurian capture. Uh, you know, I, I, I think more often than not, because there's so many tools within mass mutation to punish people for hoarding Amber across their creatures. Um, and certainly in older sets, like, you know, they brought back bounce effects. Bounce effects are still in full effect across this set. It's definitely as much as there's Amber on the board, there's lots of ways to get that amber into your pool as well so you got to be judicious with capture um it's probably a very skill testing enhancement in a lot of ways damage is mm -hmm. just straight damage with lots of little ways that you can use that to your advantage raw amber is raw amber uh you know card draw is you know it has its own quests and we'll talk about that for a second but i think knowing when and how to capture and then how to take advantage of that captured amber and not put yourself in a position where one board clear is going to put your opponent within reach of their third key is definitely a thing that you need to think about when you're playing these capture decks and capture heavy decks for sure with that being said uh let's move on to the draw pips oh the draw pips all right before we even get started on this blake there's a long-standing debate about card draw and keyforge and the debate is always is a single card draw actually that good so what's your take how, on that how i view it is this is that so I know the, you're thinking probably that if you draw one card and it's not in the house you're playing, it's just a dead card, right? And it, you know, you were going to draw it anyway at the end of your turn. Exactly. So it's irrelevant, but you're you're also creating the possibility that it is in the house you're playing, mm -hmm. and therefore you're getting more value, and you could potentially draw into your other houses. So no matter what, it only has upside because you would have drawn that anyways. The only thing is now is you're aware of it, and if you have like things like still exist like Subject Kirby where you can play a creature out of house. Or it's just in the house you're currently on. It's it's creating that ability to cycle that much faster. So I think it always matters. And then you have great passive abilities in this, like Kronos, which is when you get a draw pip, you get to archive a card. Mm. So you have that extra bonus. Like I think Kronos is the best enhancement giver potentially in the game. Because it's it's the ability to draw a card, and when you resolve a draw card, you're getting to archive a card. That duality to it. Actually, I'm lying. Scrivenger Fabian is still, I think, the best one. But <laughs> uh, I think uh, I think Kronos just that ability though to set things up, and it really fits within House Logos. It just fills that role so nicely. Like I feel like it's the perfect Logos enhancement giver, plus having a passive effect. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I mean, I think the thing that we've seen is that Logos is getting such tremendous value out of Infomorph as a card. Um, for one thing, Infomorph as just a vanilla creature that provides enhancement in your deck. One, it provides you with two pips, and it's a four-power creature, which means that it's actually like a pretty useful you know, for a vanilla creature, it's not bad. It can fight, it can reap, it can survive a little bit of like damage across the board if somebody drops, you know, something that does damage across your board. 
Um, and as well, just it because it's printed at common, there's so many decks out there that have really just like two, three, even four info morphs, and that just creates so much more card draw. And that's just incremental advantage, turn over, turn over, turn over, turn, allowing you to cycle your deck and draw back into those cards for the card draw again. And once mm-hmm. it gets rolling, it's incredible. And the combinations are absolutely staggering once you start stacking it with things like library card, the new school library access, and stuff like that. That lets you actually, you know, pull out this off, uh, you know, in ways that where you have additional card draw going into a library card turn, you're, you're laughing because you're getting more and more opportunities to draw into Logos cards and keep that train rolling. Um, additionally, you also have like Professor Torado, so, mm. so which, and he's also at Uncommon, so you see them more, which makes, even though that's just a vanilla mutant cr- creature that's providing two card draws you still have them as a reap draw card so it's not only you're getting card draw you're also able to utilize it for card draw like professor toronto even though it's it's dual sided i find that you can really use your deck in a very potent way to take advantage of that effect yeah, I mean, it's it's a matter of knowing what your opponent has on their side of the board, what the traits are on their side of the board, so that you don't end up mm-hmm. boning yourself. But uh, at the same time as well, it's also, you know, just if you understand how your deck works, you'll get huge value out of somebody like him if you know when to play him, and you already have the creatures on the board that will allow you to take advantage of him. Uh, we can't, of course, forget about Adaptoid, uh, who is enhanced yes. one capture, one damage, one card draw. The cool thing about Adaptoid is that after you play a card with any bonus icon, you get to choose a power for Adaptoid to have, so plus two armor, assault two, or fight steal one, um, which theoretically, if you play two or three cards with different enhancements, you could totally give Adaptoid all those powers, mm-hmm. which is pretty radical, and I'm very into that. Um, I really wanted to talk, though, about a card that shows up in one of the houses that is less blessed with uh, bonus icons, and that's Ensign uh, El Samra in Star Alliance, uh, who has enhanced three card draw pips, um, and also has action, reveal a card from your hand, resolve its bonus icons as if you had played it. That's super radical because one, there's a strong chance that Ensign Al Samra is going to put one of those bonus cards or bonus pips onto another uh, Star Alliance card. You can use Ensign Al Samra you know, as an action to show off that card, get the advantage of the pips, and then play that card and get the pips again. So it's a nice doubling up effect that's uh, a little bit subtle on that side as well, but also has the added kicker of she's putting more bonus stuff into your deck. Printed at rare, which is probably appropriate. I think we're starting to see a lot more cases where the rare cards are actually a lot better than the common cards. Like, there's no comparison between an Ensign El Samra and, say, for example, a an Infomorph. El Samra's just better, despite the fact that she's one power weaker because she has that kicker power. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could always just do the classic always calling Star Alliance and that card's in another house and you just keep revealing it turn after turn and and getting it. Like, that's always a possibility. So it it is pretty good, and I think I think people have identified Ensign El Samra as like a must a must deal with card. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean she's one of those ones where if you leave her unchecked, she can create so many terrible situations for you as a player um, that are hard to anticipate just because you don't know where all those pips land. Right? I mean, this mm-hmm. is one of the things that this dynamic more than anything else has changed about the game of Keyforge is 
we got to a point with every other set up till this point where if we're playing Archon and we get to look at our opponent's card, we know what we're looking for. All right, I'm looking for the board clears. I'm looking for the amber control. I'm looking for other things that could potentially be problematic combinations for me, things that I need to watch out for. The fact that all these pips, we can see what cards are enhanced just by their the color of the type on the Archon card, but don't know what enhancements they have. It's added a whole other layer of analysis to the game mm-hmm. and it's one yeah. that i don't think we're ever going to get to a point where you could think about like all right i have to be absolutely a hundred percent sure to know or figure out you know all right so he's got um he's got mutagenesis researcher which means that this potentially is one of these four enhancements like you're never going to get to that point it's just there's too no. many different ways that it could go so it very much is a case i think of uh, it's added a certain level of uncertainty to analysis that I think makes the game more fun in the long run. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, one thing I forgot to mention before we move on to the last segment of the show is that um, a cool card that I think exists, which is something that gives enhancements and not actually is utilizing them is boss Zarek, which allows you to have the capture icons. But when you pair that with sanctum or Sorian, he has the passive effect where any creature with Ember on it, that is friendly basically becomes elusive, which I think is like for a vanilla creature in that sense. Like I, I like these ones that provide the passive ability related to bonus icons. Like you said, Maleficorn, and we've talked about Kronos. I think mm-hmm. it's really interesting when they provide that extra level. So it's not just like they're giving enhancements like Gloriana's attendant, and then you're just like, oh, this card is just on the the table now. It's actually providing a passive effect revolving around them. I think that is a really nice design choice. And those are the ones I enjoy the most in my decks because even though I've played it, they're still doing something after the fact. Yeah. And they're they're just getting that. It's also a thing that your opponents will tend to overlook. Like passive mm-hmm. effects always have that effect. And like there's a few that we always know to take out just because their passive effects are so good. But like I find that I, I have a hard time focusing on passive effect cards because usually they aren't super flashy passive effects outside of a mm-hmm. thing like a Senator Brockus or something like that that gives you a right. potential to like, you know, take huge advantage of certain cards. Most of them are just like it's a cute little effect that's helpful, but it's not a thing that you think about as being this big game changer. But the longer it stays on the board, the more value racks up over time. That's true. Can't end an episode of Help from Future Self without the titular segment we call it Help Help from Future Self. Self. I got one for us this week. We mentioned a little bit earlier that Blake and I played Sealed this week and that uh, it was kind of a blowout game, uh, specifically for the reasons that were mentioned. He got Master of the Grey out on the board. I was playing a deck that relied on being able to play a large amount of Amber uh, through enhancements and just pips that are printed on cards. It's a heavy, heavy, heavy expected Amber deck with little to no Amber control. And um, I was kind of afterwards thinking, man, I really made the wrong choice with the deck that I wanted to play that day because uh, I lost three out of my four games. Um, the the win that I got was a good competitive win. I felt good about the win, but it's not like it was a like a surefire slam dunk. It was just the way the cards played out that particular game. And uh, I was having a conversation with our friend Scott about it, and Scott said something that stuck with me, which was, you make the best choice that you have with the information that you have available to you. When I sat down that day, I looked at the two decks. I looked at the one that had all the amber printed and the other one, which I didn't know how it was going to play. And I thought to myself... It makes sense for me to play this Amber one because on paper it will play fast and it will get me a lot of Amber and potentially get me to keys and burst my way to victory. 
That was the decision I had to make because I didn't know enough about the other deck. And I think I stand by that decision. I might have done better that day if I'd picked the other deck. I might not have. But what it came down to was that I made the decision based on the information that I knew for a fact and not supposition. Um, mm. I went with what made sense and it didn't play out that way. But I can't regret that decision because the other decision wouldn't have made as much sense. It would have literally just be saying, well, I know what this one does in a sealed environment. I don't know what this one does. I guess I'll go with the one I don't know what it does. Sometimes you just have to play to find out if your instinct is correct. In this case, it turned out not to be correct, but it was still the right decision, I think, just based on the information I had. Mm, that's Yeah, I agree. So don't beat yourself up when you choose the wrong deck to play in a tournament or you you know choose the wrong deck between a couple of different decks that you have the option to play. Sometimes you just it's hard. do what feels right. Yeah, it's it's not easy. When, when you're given a choice, it, it honestly makes your life more difficult. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, just one thing. Um, so I decided to use the resource that you and I generally have open when we do this, which is Archon Arcana to, to look up the what bonus icon is defined as and uh, it is defined as the icons appearing in the upper left corner below the height the house icon and it says after a card with a bonus icon is played the first thing the active player does is resolve each bonus icon on that card and it says very clearly that bonus icons must be resolved in the order printed on the card from top to bottom resolving each bonus icon is mandatory and the four icons are ember capture damage and draw so there's a clarification on that which we weren't sure of earlier on in the episode absolutely perfect so yeah if you've got a deck that lets you double up on a fertility chant your opponent gets two you get eight that's a pretty fun combo i wonder if that exists that must exist it must yeah tweak the algorithm to not let it exist but still uh one way or the other you've been listening to help from future self um you can find us on twitter at hffs podcast you can find me as Scuzzy Gruen on Instagram, on Twitter, and on The Crucible, where I enjoy playing against all kinds of people, both uh, people that I don't know and my friends. Where can they find you, Blake? And also, what have you got going on? You always have a million things going on. Oh, yes. Um, right now, I'm actually in the throes of creating videos for YouTube, which I've just started this new series called Strength of the Pack, which is going over a more in-depth analysis of a Keyforge deck. And I have a lot of great feedback from my regular viewers, both Steve and Andrew, who have made some great suggestions and have also made my life more difficult and challenging in terms of how I should go about showing this. But I think their suggestions are going to create a much stronger and more in-depth analysis of decks, which I understand people are looking for. So stay tuned for more of these Strength of the Packs. They're really in-depth analysis of looking at a deck and what it wants to do instead of just going over the general like what exists within the deck which i've been doing in the past so i'm going to be updating that on my youtube so please check that out and of course every tuesday you can catch me streaming new mass mutation decks that i've been cracking and it's a lot of fun it's at 6 p.m pacific and 9 p.m eastern every tuesday at boulevard blake on twitch all right. We're going to be doing something super cool this week. We don't know if you'll get to hear it on the podcast next week or maybe in a future episode, but it's something that I'm super excited about and is super different for us. I'm going to let your imagination run wild and leave it there. Thank you so much for listening to Help From Future Self. Um, this is what, our 65th episode now, Blake? Yeah, it is. Oh my goodness. That's so many episodes. That's so radical. Um, and it's folks like you listening that makes it worthwhile for us to keep doing. So uh, thank you to everybody who has shouted us out, uh, everybody who supports and follows us on social media, everybody who just says hi uh, if they see us playing on The Crucible. Uh, it's so appreciated. Until next time, stay focused.